to another episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast, a show that features backgrounds, reviews, and reflections of some of the most influential movies ever made. And now your hosts, Emma and Jack. Welcome back to the Old Soul Movie Podcast and happy Valentine's Day. Today we are joined by Jack. Jack, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to uh, to do The Bodyguard. I feel like this one is very popular with our family. Uh, we have a special connection to Whitney and of course, Frank Farmer. So uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited, very pumped and uh, very happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there, lovers and those who are flying solo. (laughs) I love it. Yes. I love this movie. What can I say? I'm in love with this movie. I love this movie. It's got a very, very special place in my heart. So that being said, it's, you know, it's intimidating to cover one of your own favorites because you're like, Ooh, there's so much I think about this. I've seen it 72 times. (laughs) But yeah, I, I love this one. Someone requested this one for Valentine's Day slash their birthday. So happy birthday. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, and this is one that a lot of people in our family, like you said, have been requesting. And our friends, too. I have a lot of friends that love this movie as well. So yeah, a lot riding on this one. But we're going to have some fun. We're going to talk about it because it really is kind of a culturally iconic movie. It does have a lot of iconography that's been parodied and spoofed throughout the years. Uh, But I I just think it's a fun movie. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, I uh, I agree. Um, This is I wouldn't say one of the (laughs) on paper, one of the best movies ever. But I will say it is one of the most watchable and most enjoyable because everything about it. (laughs) I mean, especially Whitney. And the the uh, the chemistry, I guess, with Kevin Costner, you wouldn't quite expect it, but it's just perfect. And again, uh, this is a little bit more, I guess, modern. It's from the 90s. So, yeah, uh, it's a little bit newer, I guess, compared to a lot of the other films that uh, we've covered. But eventually, I mean, geez, it's 2023 now. So, um, <laughs> yeah, over 30 years old at this point. But um but yeah, no, I, I think that there are a lot of classic lines, a lot of great costumes, and obviously the soundtrack is amazing. So, Emma, where where should we even start? What uh, What is the first thing that you want to cover here? Well, let's go over the basic stats. We have the director, Mick Jackson. It was written by Lawrence Kasdan. It was produced by Kevin Costner, Lawrence Kasdan, and Jim Wilson. The cinematography is by Andrew Dunn. Music is by Alan Silvestri. Distributed by Warner Brothers. Released November 25th, 1992. Running at about 129 minutes. $25 million budget. $411 million box office. (laughs) Huge. Huge. Breaking in. So pretty amazing. Yeah, this movie just has a very certain je ne sais quoi. Like, I always joke that this is the lowest rated movie that I just love. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really special. Uh, let's talk about our cast for one tiny second. We have 
the Kevin Costner as Frank Farmer. Iconic, amazing. Um, he's still doing a lot today. Go watch Yellowstone if you haven't. Yes, we were Kevin Costner fans. Very talented. <laughs> we have the Whitney Houston as Rachel Marin. So interestingly enough, uh, well, we'll get into the history of this, but for that's attempt at making the bodyguard, there were a lot of pop star contenders. They were looking at uh, Olivia Newton-John, Madonna, Pat Benatar, Debbie Harry, Joan Jett, um, Dolly Parton, I think even, whose song is the, you know, big, big one in this. Yeah. So there were a lot, lot, lot of singers considered. But Kevin Costner, who's a producer on this, really, really wanted Whitney. He like championed that. He was like, yes, it's got to be her. So, yeah, this is Whitney Houston's first movie role which is pretty exciting. And uh, fun fact, they exchanged singing lessons for acting lessons behind the scenes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And uh, truly, I, I don't think I could imagine this movie with anybody other than Whitney, right? I mean, I'm, I'm even just looking at the, the poster here. I just can't imagine that as Dolly Parton or really anybody else. Um, again, I just think that the chemistry for some weird reason, was just there with Kevin Costner. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll always trust, <laughs> I guess, his intuition when it comes to you know casting and, and all these other things. I thought, Emma, that it was very interesting. <laughs> and I know you know where I'm going with this, but there was a potential sequel talked about here. Emma, yes. who was going to be, I guess, the second person guarded by... Mr. Farmer. Yeah, it's really interesting. The re not remake, the sequel that was supposed to happen after this was supposed to feature Princess Diana and she agreed to it. It was going to happen. Legend has it that the day before she died, the script got to her and then when she passed and the tragic, tragic accident, it just was completely washed away. There was no approaching it anymore. However, I do think that is an interesting concept, kind of like a princess or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's an interesting topic. And after a pop star. Kind of similar to the, uh, the new series on Netflix. I can't remember. I think it's just called The Bodyguard or... Something I don't know. I haven't lines. seen it. But it was, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Rob Stark, right? Oh, um, no. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with it. Yeah. I. Sorry, folks out there, if you're a fan of the show, the, the name is slipping me right now. Um, but I've watched, you know, a few, I guess, episodes here and there just from old roommates who were into the show. And uh, it seemed pretty cool. But along those lines, I think there was some sort of royal, uh, maybe it was just because it was set in Britain that I'm thinking this, but, uh, but yeah, it, I, I think that this whole concept of bodyguard protector love this, this trope is, uh, it, it's present in, in cinema. Right. But I think that this is really where it starts to become more of a thing, right. That hits a cultural nerve that becomes part of what you said earlier, a lot of parodies, a lot of, I guess, other shows and movies that came from this. Uh, I, I think if there's a new bodyguard movie or, you know, a series out there, there's at least one reference to this. Like whether it's <laughs> I Will Always Love You 
or them carrying them away from, you know, danger. Uh, I, 30 I really Rock, love that. Tracy Morgan. <laughs> uh, I mean, we could probably go through the entire list uh, of just references here in a second. But I guess before we look into that, kind of going back to Whitney for a second and Kevin Costner, I do find it very interesting that he spoke at her funeral. I would yes. love to know what exactly was said. Uh, I'm not sure if you know. But I do. <laughs> what was said, Emma? Well, I'll never forget uh, when I found out Whitney Houston died. It was, I mean, I'm a huge Whitney Houston fan. So it's like a personal tragedy in my life. Uh, February 11th, 2012. And, <laughs> and I flew into St. Louis a few days after that. But I was in the airport when I watched Kevin Costner's eulogy. And yeah, there was, it, it's very sweet, touching memories, being together. He spoke to, you know, kind of guarding yourself from what I can kind of remember. But he also told a story about, uh, I believe it was casting during the audition process. Uh, she had applied, you know, she's a singer. She's used to stage makeup and she had applied really heavy stage makeup and it just started melting under the lights. And so it's just kind of a quirky story and like learning how to readjust and navigate new territory. And it also like, yeah, just connection they had. So, yeah, I don't know. They just had a really cool connection. I love that he knew she was right for this. And I mean, I think that it is important to note that this is an interracial love story in the early 90s. Uh, as we're celebrating and honoring Black History Month, I think that the representation that we have on screen here from a, a large amount of the cast is really phenomenal and so needed. I, I'm happy that this story, anyone could have fit that role, but I'm happy that they chose a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. I think that watching the ensemble and really just it, it's sort of the banter, right, between all of the different characters, like there's something there that might not have been there if it was just a, I guess, a monoracial cast. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about the, uh, you know, the limo driver and uh, Fletcher. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it's uh, it brings a different dynamic. And of course, during that time, it was different than it is now. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, yeah, very cool to see that in a, in a 90s movie. And again, I just I think that uh whatever was between Kevin Costner and, and Whitney, like you just, you can't describe it, but uh, I mean, uh, yes, this movie gets hated on by a lot of people. I always think it's interesting when it's simultaneously nominated for uh golden, what is it? Raspberry oh, yes. awards, <laughs> but also Academy awards. And this is kind of uh, another quintessential movie along those lines. I, I know Roger Ebert, liked it. He gave it three out of four stars. And I, I respect that actually. I yeah. respect it because I do think sometimes a movie is not about, okay, how technically perfect is it? How good is the acting? How good is the plot, the story, whatever? Just do you enjoy watching it? Does it make you feel something? And how does it leave you? And I feel like this really does leave you with a lot of satisfaction. Um, <laughs> you're laughing at points, maybe crying at others. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I was texting you about, um, all these points that we will, you know, go over during our watch through here in a sec. So stick with us folks, but there's just so many funny things that come up while you're watching it. You're just questioning it to yourself. Like, is this really happening? And <laughs> there's nothing you can do except just sit back, watch and enjoy suspend disbelief and just, uh, 
you know, watch, watch the magic of, of Rachel, Frank Farmer, one, also just one of the best named characters of all time, Frank Farmer. <laughs> uh, but yes, I mean, again, just the, the music, everything in this is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite something. So Emma, what else is sort of notable about the cast? Well, we have Gary Kemp as Cy Specter, uh, the sort of Weasley publicist <laughs> of Rachel. Uh, interestingly enough, Gary Kemp isn't really known for his acting so much as being the lead guitarist of Spando Ballet. So he's actually more known in the music realm, which is really interesting. I thought he nailed this role as that sort of that you know, uppity image obsessed um, <laughs> guy. And then we have Bill Cobbs as Bill Devaney. He has been in so many things, uh, but one connection that might be cool for modern viewers is that he is Reginald from Night at the Museum. And then we have Ralph Waite as Herb Farmer, Frank's dad. Uh, he was in The Waltons. He was in Cool Hand Luke. We also have Mike Starr as Tony Scapelli. <laughs> Such a fun character actor. Uh, folks might recognize him from Dumb and Dumber, Goodfellas, Ed Wood, Uncle Buck. So many. He's kind of this classic mafia type. And Mm -hmm. again, I guess when I think of him, of course, my mind naturally goes to Dumb and Dumber and (laughs) him taking these pills and dying in the Chili's restaurant or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, he does have a, I guess, a fun character in this too. Maybe the worst (laughs) protection, personal security. I wouldn't even call him a bodyguard, but whatever he is, he's terrible at it. He gets an Um, A for heart. Yeah, he he does things the way that she likes it, which, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of tough love and uh, I guess freshness added to the mix in order to really lock things down. But yeah, he's got a good heart. You can tell. Yes. Good old Tony. Um, Yeah. So the bodyguard, some important things to note. This was the second highest grossing movie in the entire world of 1992. Anyone care to take a guess what the first highest grossing movie of 1992 was? Titanic. Oh, nice. Yeah. So this and Aladdin neck and neck. You know, a little bit of different target audiences, which I think, you know, is important to note. (laughs) Aladdin, Titanic, or Jesus, Aladdin, (laughs) the bodyguard, essentially the same. Yeah, very interesting to note there. Very interesting. But I guess both of them are music heavy, music dominant. Yes. So this movie was a long product in the making. Lawrence Kasdan, who I, I've heard him referred to as Larry Kasdan, but ma- like that's been in behind the scenes stuff. So maybe that's like things his friends have said. But anyway, Lawrence Kasdan was in advertising, didn't love it uh, and was working heavily at his own time to work on scripts, create scripts and get into filmmaking. So he had done a few scripts um, over time, and he wrote the script for The Bodyguard in 1975. And when he wrote it, he had Steve McQueen in mind for the Frank Farmer character. He did sell this script to Warner Brothers in 1977. He definitely noticed that this was kind of his, I don't want to say first good one, but one where he's like, hey, there's something special here. And so it was set to be made in 1978, starring Ryan O'Neill and Diana Ross. So kind of interesting to note there that they had an interracial couple 
in mind even in 1978, which I think is cool that they kept that going. It never got through to development. It entered development hell. It just never took off or came to fruition. You know, as time was going by, though, Lawrence Kasdan was finding success in the film industry. He was picking up more as a writer. Uh, he did the Star Wars episodes five and six in 1980 and 1983, respectively. He also found success as the writer and director for Body Heat in 1981 and for Silverado in 1985, which starred Kevin Costner. So by the early to mid 1980s, he was heating up and Kevin Costner, while working on Silverado, kind of found his rise to fame there. Uh, While they were working together, Kevin Costner read the bodyguard script, fell in love with it, asked Kasten if he could revisit it, remake it with him as the lead role. And... Yada, yada, yada. A bunch of stuff came out. Uh, They did get a different director, Mick Jackson, to do it. And by 1992, this baby was out. So keeping that in mind, a few things did have to change over the years, uh, like switching who the president was who got shot from Kennedy to Reagan. So kind of wild, actually, looking at the timing and the repetition of events, if you're thinking about it. Um, And also the profession that Rachel Maron had changed a lot, quite a bit over the years. So I don't know. I think this was just a very all coming together situation to have it finally go back to a singer and to pay homage with Kevin Costner getting that Steve McQueen haircut and and really honoring its roots, which I think is quite cool. Yeah, I'd say 17 years. That's quite a long time for, uh, (laughs) you know, things to change so to speak, as far as who would be cast. Um, Yeah. I mean, you can't have, I guess, too old of a bodyguard uh, unless you're (laughs) looking at the guy who, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) The guy who comes in at the very, very end there, but uh, he's good. He's, he's very good. All just great things of note. And uh, I think very cool to appreciate the sort of final product uh, coming to, you know, fruition, so to speak. And um and and yeah, I just I can't wait to to get into all the the shenanigans of I guess what's next. Yeah. So I think it does give you a little bit better of an appreciation just knowing the history of yeah, how long it took to kind of come to fruition, all this great stuff. Uh again, I think that the most lasting impact that it probably has is of course Whitney, the songs. Emma, do you want to talk at all about the music here and uh, maybe accolades? Yes. So two of the songs of the film, Run to You and I Have Nothing, were both nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. However, both lost. Can you guess the song it lost to? Now I'm guessing it's something from Aladdin. And I'm I'm not looking this up. Great guess. Great guess. (laughs) (laughs) Is it... A whole new world. It is a whole ah, new world. Great. Yes. Amazing. A, that's a great song too. You know, that's a, that's a really competitive year. Really uh, tough. Really tough. <laughs> uh, yeah. I personally love, I have nothing. I think that that is a fierce song. I think rent to you is also really, really good. Um, but yeah, it's hard because I, I really, a whole new world is truly one of my Disney faves. So it's, that was a tough one. That was a tough year. <laughs> Yeah, the Bodyguard album is a diamond level album, and it's one of the best selling albums by a woman of 
all time ever, which is really cool. I think also interesting to note just how Whitney puts this personal touch on movie soundtracks. Uh, for you listeners out there, our Christmas episode, Bishop's Wife, Preacher's Wife, but The Preacher's Wife, also very interesting to note how, I mean, Whitney was also in in that. So the last two pods I've been on have been Whitney, coincidentally. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but also pretty cool just to, to note how popular that album was. And I guess just the impact that film can have on the music industry. Mm -hmm. And now, especially, I guess, with different platforms evolving, whether it be TikTok or other types of, you know, short form content, how music can start there, but then really evolve into like changing how the industry, I guess, creates its type of content, in this case, music. So uh, very cool to see, I guess, how how movies and film was that sort of medium uh, 30, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, definitely check out the album if you haven't. It's certainly featured in the movie, all the songs, but um, yeah, it's it's cool to listen to it all too and just get to experience Whitney. It's time out here. Maybe it's too premature to get into this, but... Ooh. Do you have a top three songs from the movie? What is your your ranking here? Um, I have nothing. Is that number, number one? Number one. Queen of the Night, I think, is my number two. <laughs> number three... It is such a draw. I, you know, I'm going to go with, I will always love you. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I think that's okay. my ranking. <laughs> I have the same general list. So number three, <laughs> I also have, I will always love you. I feel like that's just a classic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's probably the, the song that might get parodied the most. Yes. Um. So I think that just culturally also just technically it's just, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a powerhouse, um, power ballad, yeah. woman, hear me roar songs. Yeah. But I guess for me, it gets docked a few points because I feel like there are so many covers. There are yeah. so many people who kind of claim it, i.e. Dolly, uh, mm -hmm. Dolly Parton, that is. She's um, the OG. It was yeah. her song. Yeah. So I feel like I can't quite move it past the next two for me. Um, number two for me is Run To You. Um, yes, I, yep. I think it really, favorite. it really solidifies that spot because as I was rewatching it in preparation for this, watching that, you know, it's, it's near the 30 minute mark, uh, that scene of Frank alone, just watching, you know, watching Rachel on the screen and Rachel just kind of peering like a phantom of the opera <laughs> on top of him. I feel like that was kind of the moment where not that he started to have feelings for her, but he was just, you know, enjoying his classic screwdriver and just in awe of, you know, this woman that he's protecting. He fell in love. <laughs> She's just, yeah. Like it's, it's starting right. The, the wheels are in motion and uh, this might even be number one for me. It's such a toss up, but yes. Number one is I have nothing. I just, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, yeah, I, you know, I love it. Yeah. So yes, music in here is just phenomenal folks. There's a great <laughs> chance that you've heard the music 
if you haven't even watched the movie, but I highly suggest, of course, we're covering this. You watch the movie to have an even deeper appreciation for it. Any other things of note that you want to cover? Yeah, um, I believe there's a remake of this actually in the works. Um, I mean, it is just asking to be remade. But if and when it happens, I do hope that there's some fresh ideas and a lot of originality to it. Because quite frankly, I think that that is why I'm so drawn to this movie. I think it is... How do I put this? It fits into sort of the archetypes and tropes that, you know, are in a lot of classic fairy tales and stuff. But that being said, I find it to be very original in its own way. Yes. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, Emma. I'm dying over here, folks. If you heard me kind of chortling there in the last 10 seconds, because I was thinking, okay, how would they recast this? (laughs) And I think that just the natural tendency of things nowadays is Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. But I was thinking Timothy Chalamet might be just the scrawniest bodyguard of all time. Uh, Can't be worse than, you know, the the crew of Rachel in in this version. But yeah, I I, I, yeah. Hear me out here. (laughs) Oh, okay, Emma. (laughs) Real life love story, Channing Tatum, Zoe Kravitz. Oh, oh, all right. You know, that works. That works. <laughs> I think just a little bit better than Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> that's or Tom uh, Holland. Take your pick. Timothy Chalamet, Tom Holland. That's, it's a toss up. Yeah. Zendaya is always the, the female lead. <laughs> That's but, my gut feeling on this one, but yeah, that's yeah. a good one, Emma. That's a good one. I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I, I really like this this version, the original. Whatever happens with any remakes to come, who I bet you know this could be another like a star is born, but for the next like for the next 50, 70 years. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's so good. You know, this movie was a commercial success, not highly thought of at all in critical acclaim. I do think there are some things of merit that I'll point along as we go along in the free watch. And yes, it is based off of some source material, like actually the movie that they watch in the movie. Uh, so that's cool that they pay tribute to that. Um, I just I think it's really refreshing. I think it's really romantic. I think that the early to mid 90s is honestly probably one of the most romantic times in movies, in my opinions, one of the sexiest times, one of the just enthralling captivating romances on the screen so in this movie i think perfectly fits in with that time period and you know sets that standard i really think that kevin and whitney pulled off that like on again off again hot cold passionate enemies to lovers (laughs) all of it combined (laughs) a lot of a lot of critics hate on the chemistry but i mean maybe it's just us maybe we've watched it so many times that we've psyoped our, ourselves into no. believing there's something there but no it's there yeah, it's it, <laughs> I, I think it's there i think it's there anybody who's kind of been in that spot where yeah maybe there was like some sort of enemies to lover thing it, there's just some sort of tension you can't describe mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely there here and i think again going back to roger ebert and his review which i think is very spot on uh it's two professionals who have their priorities like kind of straight. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, 
Whitney is supposed to be this, you know, Academy Award winning singer. Uh, Kevin Costner is supposed to be this presidential, like Secret Service esque bodyguard. Uh, they're serious people. It, it's not like I don't know. Your exactly. Average, right. Your average Joe, security guard at the club down the street uh, with, you know, some karaoke singer who they're like taking something way too seriously. Uh, like these people need to kind of have some sort of tunnel vision. And uh, yeah, they're I type that, A. They go for it. Yeah. So I, I think, again, like this forbidden romance aspect. Mm-hmm. Frank mm-hmm. Farmer knows. Farmer knows. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes you just got to give in, I guess. Uh, but I love it. We, we love a forbidden love. I mean, Star Wars episode two, Attack the Clones. It pulls a lot from this plot line. I think. Forbidden yeah. love bodyguard moment. Ironically enough, Lawrence Kasdan wrote the original. So maybe it was a little bit of an ode to him when they did that. I don't know. Also, maybe one of the lowest rated Star Wars movies <laughs> of the original six, which in my opinion are still the only that exist. But also, I mean, the love story of that is the best part. So, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I like, you know, is there weird, di- you know, neither yeah. here nor there. I was into that watch, story then. <laughs> yeah, you, you could just watch the, the romantic parts of that movie. And I think it would still be probably just as good as <laughs> watching the entire thing. And come on, Lake, Lake Como. And beautiful the, the sand it gets everywhere and yeah <laughs> exactly exactly baby cute excellent parallel i'm glad you said that yeah so before we get into the rewatch just to let you know i'm so bad at remembering this um i had a hard time finding this where it was available for streaming however you can rent it on amazon prime or buy it for an absolute bargain of eight dollars which you know, it's a steal. Some of us may or may not have done, but um, guilty, yeah. guilty over here. It's. Uh, I think it is so worth your library. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely worth a, a watch a year. Maybe you know having a or few two. drinks and two. However, uh, <laughs> any kind of family gathering, anytime he says, you know, I can't protect you like this. Just rip a shot, and by the end of it, you'll you'll be having a good time. So it's it's uh, so funny. I mean, we watched this. I watched this with a couple people like around Thanksgiving. We're like, yeah, this is a Thanksgiving movie. And then I watched it, you know, in preparation for this. And it's like, well, yeah, you've got to watch this time of the year, the Oscars and in memoriam of when Whitney passed, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a this whole is thing. The perfect. This is the perfect time to watch it. Yes. So this is you, the perfect time to watch it. So if you haven't watched it, watch it. And if you haven't watched it in a while, watch it again. So, yes, find it on Amazon Prime or (laughs) iTunes library. Pay the $8. It's worth it. Just do it. Like Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Um, (laughs) Emma, any other notes before we dive into the rewatch? No, let's get into the rewatch. All right, Emma. An absolutely iconic, iconic opening. First scenes. Okay. The first scenes in any movie are so important. And especially when they do feature, and they typically do, when they feature the main character. And it's something that I got to commend the script on right off the bat for Lawrence Kasdan, where you need to get a good picture of the protagonist, who they are, and their world that they live in. So from this view, he saves a client. You know, it's a little bit of a 
Like, whoa, can't believe it. We see and learn that he is extremely methodical. He picks up on little things like the they don't wash cars on parking levels. That's how he knew who the assassin was. Uh, we learn that he's all business. He likes to shake things up. He doesn't like to get too comfortable. He doesn't like to get attached. And he leaves a pretty solitary life, to be honest. It's just him just guarding lives. He's just putting his life on the line every day for other people to make money. It's just him, that big swinging sword of his, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he, uh, right. I mean, right off the bat, of course, it's, it's like you said, uh, we get a, a feel for what his job is mm-hmm. quite intense. Uh, you know, it's always <laughs> not shocking, but it's always, uh, maybe jarring uh when yeah the opening scene is okay yeah i just i killed a guy gunshots uh, and, yeah gunshots and it, kind of similar to your a star is born comment mm-hmm. um i like that opening it, it actually reminds me sort of of the new star is born for for some reason of course it's not nearly the same <laughs> plot or anything but there's a a similar vibe i can't explain it it, it's a similar vibe it's like a noirish almost feel (laughs) um so yeah to go from that and then of course you're getting a you're you're just getting a feel for frank here right and um and like you said just how methodical he is and uh we can tell yes he takes his job very seriously um it's by the book he's got the super cuts haircut to you know verify it and he doesn't mess around. So yes, we don't, we don't want to tangle with Frank here. No, but you know, it, it is funny. The next scenes when Bill Devaney approaches Frank, you know, we can all see that. Yes, he is quite deadly. And also he's kind of like a deadpan funny guy. Like he's got a little bit of a sense of humor, you know, he's a little trickster. Like there's, you know, he's not all serious. He's, he's complex. There's layers again, very important for a character. And he is approached to guard pop star, Rachel Marin. Now some other people had some interest, such as this guy named Portman. Wink, wink. Take note of that one here. in This opening scene. I love the weavens, you know, as, as things go on, um, We'll cover that thread a little bit more. But yeah, overall, great establishment of character. And then we go to the Rachel Marin world of things. So we scope out the house. Uh, he's pretending to be all sorts of people. Alexander Graham Bell, Henry Ford. We learned that the house is not secure. Uh, by the way, if this mansion looks familiar, it is the same one as the horse in the head mansion from The Godfather. Uh they find the horse's head in the bed. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Spoiler alert. Everyone no <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. Is it is it that much spoiler? You don't know how the horse's head got in the bed or whose <laughs> bed is. Now nowadays, I, I guess uh it might be, but yeah, I mean <laughs> The horse in the bed. Uh very uh very graphic, gruesome scene there. But honestly, not far off. This house is a lot of bad luck. I would say not the most secure place ever. Um, but it's, it's exactly what you said before. I'm a, a farmer has a great sense of humor. You see that on display the entire mm-hmm. movie through his one liners, of course, his ch- kind of cheeky ways of breaking into places. Um, 
you know, he's a silly guy on the inside. I think. And, and, and when you have such a serious job, you need to have this silly side. Um, maybe just to, to really just get through it all. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I, I love the pacing here. I think that it just, it does a really good job of kind of getting into right away, uh, what the next job is. Mm-hmm. Um, it flows. Really, yeah. Characterizing Frank, of course, with like the knives, the job and, and all these different things. So I would say to a modern audience, this does have kind of the, the right pacing and peel to kind of hook you in. So it, from that standpoint, I think it does a, a very good job. I think so. Uh, and then we get to meet the household members here. We meet Henry, the show first, first. So I think they put a little bit of a red herring out there for us. His arm is injured. And I think that's supposed to make us go like, ooh, how did he get injured? Oh, yeah, sure. It's a dog. Henry ends up being a sort of sidekick, (laughs) assistant. So then we meet Rachel. What, What do we think of Rachel? The Rachel Marin. Right off the bat here. Um, also, yeah, kind of just before I even get into Rachel, like you just mentioned, almost like a little mystery. Um, mm-hmm. we're kind of getting a few different looks here at mm-hmm. who it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting like letters and we're seeing kind of all sorts of, oh yeah, that's true. Like, like clues, I guess. Yes. Um, the, so the creepy letters with the magazine clippings. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's almost like a genre bending intro. Uh, sort of speak, noir, mystery, like there it sort of mystery. starts off. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's just something in the air. Um, and then we, we meet Rachel, of course. I think there's like a music video happening. Oh, yes. Um, a lot of people, not a lot of security. Lucy goosey. <laughs> yeah. False sense of security. I would, I would add. And um, I think right away we can just tell that Rachel isn't really maybe even aware of the threat on her life, which honestly is no fault of her own. I think it kind of falls back on our friend. uh, Yeah. Our friend, uh, Tony and Bill (laughs) and, uh, inside, mostly, mostly (laughs) side. Let's, let's be real here. Side's kind of like the one who he's like the, the Russian dude in, in Rocky. Like if, if she dies, she dies. Um, I think size kind of like in it for himself a bit. Um, yeah, but, yeah, no, this music video is happening. There's a lot of just things occurring in the house. Frank can kind of see that this isn't the most serious job or that they're not taking it seriously. And so he's kind of just like, all right, I'm out. Immediately just sort of dips. And, you know, Bill, of course, who I think out of the crew is probably the most level-headed, rational, yeah, yeah. level-headed, whatever you want to describe him as, uh, is like, all right, we need this guy <laughs> because yeah when you can just break into uh the house and get as far as you can by saying names of people who you know most people should probably know but again maybe history maybe history isn't everyone's strongest subject uh (laughs) then there's a problem so yeah i i could tell why he would be aggravated here in this situation Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, he comes from this staunch world and her world is excitement. And uh, yeah, the first meeting with Frank and Rachel, completely different pages. It's not great. She doesn't even think he looks like a bodyguard. Like, ouch. I think he looks like a bodyguard. 
<laughs> Guys, <laughs> listeners out there, Emma is in love with Frank Farmer and Kevin Costner. How could you so not be in love with Frank Farmer? He's the there man. May, there may be a lot of uh, sticking up for him as this goes on. Always. But, I mean, I- I'm guilty of that too. Frank Farmer, it, 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 he's like in the same vein as Jack Bauer. Uh, um, Jason Bourne. I don't know. Take your pick. I feel like he's one of those guys who, uh, is in one of those brackets, right. Of like people who you'd want to have protecting you. And so Emma would probably have him as her number one. Uh, maybe for me, he'd be a little bit lower on the list, but he's still on my list. So we meet Cy, of course, you know, it's a little sleazy, but then we, we meet Fletcher who I think really turns it all around for Frank. Fletcher is Rachel's son. Emma, describe this relationship because it's an interesting one, uh, Fletcher. <laughs> so was he, from a, was he from a previous marriage? Was he from a fling? It is something I wonder all of the time. You know, I... I really, really have drawn so many different identities for Fletcher's dad over the years. I am going to say, you know, I bet that the dad is just not a cool guy and he's just out of their life. Something about like, I don't really think she's widowed. Widowed? Yeah, I don't think she's widowed. I don't think like that. I think he's just like not a good dude. Just Mm. he's probably also a celebrity adjacent or industry adjacent of sorts, but not on his woman's level. And it just it just couldn't last. And he's just decided to duck out forever. And she doesn't need him. Yeah. What I think is interesting here is it's never explicitly said. Right. So, you know, as an audience member, you can make an educated guess and right. It's just, it's up to interpretation, which I love when movies do this because I feel like it kind of, it personalizes it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's fun to read between the lines. Yeah. To be completely honest, I don't even have like a, a solid theory. I was thinking maybe it was some type of like high school sweetheart thing a la oh, interesting. Beyonce, the guy that cheated on Beyonce like way back in the day. <laughs> um <laughs> right. But yeah, like you said, the guy's not in the picture. Um he really likes boats, Fletcher, uh mm. the, the son. And yeah, I think that there's some some innocence here and maybe Frank is drawn to him because right, he's not caught up in the flashiness of the show business. He just, he wants to play with his boats. He kind of wants to be left alone. He's pretty smart. Um, he's a, he's a smart kid. Oh yeah. So, uh, he's intuitive. So I think Frank, yeah, can see all this stuff and maybe, right. Maybe Fletcher is kind of the one that saves the day here. Maybe he's <laughs> the one that really makes Frank take the job. I believe it. I believe it. I think Fletcher plays a key role here. Um, one of my favorite lines during this whole intro scene is like, you know, when Sai is being an absolute jerk, the publicist, and he's like, you know, oh, you know, what's your resume basically? Frank's like, oh, I worked for Reagan. And it's like, Reagan got shot. And I love the response of not on my shift. <laughs> I 
I do wonder what the real actual Secret Service member on duty thought of that line. <laughs> but um, I think this is really interesting from like a historical standpoint. So Tim McCarthy was the Secret Service agent who got shot defending Reagan. He took the bullet in the chest and he did recover. Weirdly enough, Tim McCarthy was not supposed to be on duty that day. Uh, it was supposed to be his day off, but the bodyguard that was supposed to be working couldn't do it last minute. And so he lost a coin toss with another Secret Service agent and had to serve that day. So weirdly enough, in bodyguard lore, one could think of that original service agent as Frank Farmer going to his mother's funeral. Very uh, <laughs> interesting turn of fates there, I would say. To have it all kind of hinge on a coin toss is sort of crazy to think about. The other <laughs> historical piece in this that I think is absolutely fascinating is the other agent that's credited for saving Reagan's life that day was an agent named Jerry Parr. Jerry Parr actually decided that he wanted to be a Secret Service agent after watching the movie Code of the Secret Service as a kid, where Reagan played a Secret Service agent. So talk about a full circle moment there. A lot of things connecting. Um, <laughs> I Again, <laughs> we live in a simulation, folks. Yeah, all this is already written. There's just a lot of crazy kind of coincidences out there. I feel like this is just one of many. But again, like that, that is just such an insane uh, kind of chain there that it is. It's cool. It is cool to think about all of that. And then, of course, the ending of this movie, which we will eventually get to. But Emma, what is next? Okay, so, yeah, in wrapping up of Rachel's house, we learn there's a masturbator coming into her house and masturbating. We see a little behind the scenes pics of a stalker, those creepy letters. We also meet Rachel's sister, little sibling rivalry situation there. Uh, and then we also see that Frank is kind of like, I want to get this job done. He's talking to his friends, one of them, which is Uncle Frank from Home Alone. It's just interesting, too. There's so many little lines like politics and showbiz. It's the same thing. So many things I feel like are accurate for a modern viewer today to listen to and watch and be like, yep, I know that. Um, yeah, so that's cool. So it starts happening. The the working relationship. And it's it's not great. Tony, the other bodyguard, is not down with Frank. We get a little clue into the stalker's car. We see what kind of car it is. We also, I think what's cool too, a little behind the scenes in the car chase scene with the limo, um, there's a Shaka, well, it's actually Whitney covering a Shaka Khan song, but actually that's kind of where Whitney got her start singing back up to Shaka Khan. Uh, I do think we get a lot of good care, little bits of character development between the lines and the script. She's this big star, but she shops at a humble shop that's a little bit more thrifty, that isn't designer. So she's, you know, authentically artistic over names and fake materialistic brands. stuff. Right. Yeah, the brands. <laughs> and then we learn that she jogs like just a regular girl, <laughs> not some diva. It's, it's kind of cool, those little moments. And yeah, and then... No, there, there's tension. There's tension, but a little turn of events. 
Rachel catches Frank watching her music video. I want to run to you. Like we said earlier, I do think that is the big turning point where he's realizing how amazing she is, like larger than life, but also intimate. And I think she's realizing that he's not just her. (laughs) Right. She is. uh, He kind of met her right in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And then it's strange maybe when you go back Mm. and then you see, oh, wow. Okay. She is pretty big. Uh, Similar to his dad's reaction, actually. Um, (laughs) Oh, you must must be quite the singer if he's protecting you. Um, So I think, yeah, like, I don't know how many screwdrivers deep he was at this point, but um, that kind of edge on the seat, you know, kind of getting a little bit closer. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, how can you not, how can you not just fall in love with that voice? Um, and of course, I mean, her skin is like perfect in this. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, I need you know, I the need- <laughs> makeup artist who worked on this movie. Hit a girl up. I want to know all the secrets. I, I'm sure she has like flawless skin anyway. Great canvas, but like, my God, uh, an airbrush yeah. complexion. Yeah. I think that's really one of the things that kind of stands out <laughs> as you're watching it. You're just like, wow, her skin is just so good. And so it's so good. I mean, it's it's kind of a strange thing to say, but when you watch, you'll, you'll understand. Um, but yeah, just, I, I love this scene of him, him watching her. It, it might be one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in, in the movie just because, yeah, that's the turning point. I think after that, that's when he's kind of like open and a little bit more vulnerable. Um, and Thankfully, I think she she's watching this. She's like, I got him. And <laughs> all I need is a little a little jog. Tomorrow. And um, and yeah, the, the job did the did the trick. Well, sort of. Sort of. There's, sort a, of. there's another, I think, moment that solidifies sort of where the direction is going. Emma. Oh yeah. This, this the- concert. The club, the cool club moment. Strange, strange. It's (laughs) the mine or the mind. What was it called? Yeah. Uh, Sigh, piece of work. He's like, he didn't tell her about the home invasion. He's pushing for concerts. Now, I think they do a good job of doing a little bit of character goal orientation there with him being like, she's got to live her life. Uh, I think that that's interesting from a writing standpoint. Queen of the Night performance, iconic. Uh, I love this scene. It's great. She's a powerhouse, but quickly becomes overwhelmed. And we see Rachel so brave on stage telling Frank, like, I've got this. But then when it becomes too much, like (sighs) Frank just grabs her and carries her in his arms close to him out of danger. Swoon. So yeah. romantic. Yeah, not not before uh, knocking a few people out and putting a fire extinguisher to the crowd. Uh, may I add there? But um, okay, this is where I I first start thinking, who is on the security team here? Like, Tony. does she actually just? Yeah, is it just Tony? Like, does the club have any type of security? Like, anybody can just jump on stage. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, right? Like, who is the equivalent? to Rachel today. Like maybe it's Lady Gaga. Ariana Grande, maybe Ariana. Yeah. And yeah, like they, they do sometimes, I guess, perform in like these smaller venues, but I know that they're packing some serious muscle to make sure that 
no jabronis like the guys in, in here are getting up there and you know like pushing her around but like there should be somebody on the ground right to prevent the people from getting up in the first place or like tearing their legs down um so yeah things get out of hand we have poor tony here like yelling for frank like the limo the limo and humiliating frank, and frank's just like yeah he's punching people like bam bam yeah he's like he's elbowing people and completely left out of the safety plan yeah and, and, and tony tony's just in his own world here thinking he's doing something meanwhile frank doing some behind the scenes work with, uh, with Henry on where it's actually, uh, be in case of an emergency. Probably and, a good um, idea to align with the driver, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably I, a good I, alliance. I, I would say, but, um, again, I, I think iconic moment. This is again, an amazing costume, uh, for Whitney and, uh, Rachel and, um, yeah, just kind of like the, the sheltering while being kind of like brought out, you know, that's, I, I don't dream about that happening to me, but like if I were a girl, maybe I would. Um, and as a <laughs> guy, may, I, I'm like hoping dream. for that, that uh, <laughs> maybe that opportunity. The Frank Farmer oh, moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. What's my Frank Farmer moment going to be, you know? So um, this is, it, it's like the poster, the, the kind of iconic dark bluish purpley movie poster it comes from this scene. So, yeah. um, yeah, very, uh, it, it, it's a cool moment in the movie and it, it does happen relatively, uh, early on. So I'd be ready to ask out my bodyguard after that. Um, but again, like linking a scene to scene, the flow was just so great because we see Tony's been kind of left out in the, you know, <laughs> left out in the dust there. And the next scene directly addresses that. <laughs> We get maybe one of the most incredible fight scenes of all time. Uh, so Tony decides to violently confront Frank. But man, Frank is just too good. He shows Tony up all while eating an apple. <laughs> Ending up finishing, concluding that chapter between them with, I don't want to have this discussion again without any words being said throughout the scene. Classic, iconic, brilliant, amazing. Uh, this is a, a crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah, I think uh, by incredible fight scenes, Emma, I think maybe you mean <laughs> one of the poorest attempts at fighting on Tony's <laughs> part. Um, I think the slowest punch ever thrown in cinema history happens right off the bat. Frank had like a week to, to react to it. And, um, and yeah, Tony just never stood a chance here. And, uh, I, I, I love just Frank the entire time. He, you know, it, he's eating the apple. Tony's just desperately trying to, to get some kind of advantage. Um, Frank uses the chair. He lets him up. Tony even brings out the butcher's knife. Frank takes his, like his little apple, uh, what do you, at paring, paring knife? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And just like throws it. <laughs> it would be funny if Frank missed and just killed him. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it hits the side. Also, side note, I was thinking about this. Do bodyguards just have uh, an open license to kill here? Because I'm hmm. thinking like not to kind of get too far ahead of ourselves, but like, yeah, if danger presents itself, can they just kill freely? 
That is so interesting. Um, I have never thought that far. I really guess I guess I just think of it as along the lines of taking the bullet for said person. And I don't know. I'm trying to think with like like literally even thinking back to the Reagan thing. How did they how did they get John Hinckley Jr.? Did they just like capture him? Because they don't. <laughs> a quick Google search here. Um, <laughs> and guys, this is literally the first result. So please don't hold me to this. Generally speaking, in the US, a person acting as private security or anyone acting lawfully to protect is permitted to use deadly force mm. if his or her life is in jeopardy or the life of another. So, okay. yeah, I, I yeah. guess. I guess that's a yes. That makes sense. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how you maybe qualify as a, a bodyguard to obtain that freedom, but uh, yeah, interesting thing to know. In case that came across your mind as you're watching, as it came across mine. Good. I'm glad we have the answer to that. Thanks, Jack. Um, <laughs> things heat up a little bit more rachel officially asks frank out in one of the smoothest ways ever <laughs> but if i want to go on a date you'd be there that'd be so awkward so why don't you take me out it's like <laughs> so she good. rehearsed it definitely rehearsed so so cute i love it um oh during this sequence we also unmask the masturbator stalker who we saw at the nightclub scene by the way the blonde hair and the whole locker dedicated to her so we have a face with the identity and yeah it's a, again a really another like very red red herring <laughs> you're like well that must be it right we'll see i mean we don't know we don't know if it's a red herring we don't know we think it is the thing very much so. and Very much so. <laughs> the yeah. guy's creepy. I mean, when you think of Stalker, it's pretty much right on the nose as far as just how he would look. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. But that split second in the club, you're thinking to yourself, okay, something going to happen. And um, unfortunately, I think he gets an elbow to the nose. But um, <laughs> wrong place, wrong time. Sorry, guy. Back back in the line um but yes emma the uh this little date um this little smooth date. asking out emma what came to mind to me is all right let's imagine this is yes the ariana grande equivalent maybe taylor swift maybe lady gaga how is she able to walk into your local neighborhood bar and not be bothered by all the patrons the fellow patrons of the establishment that is a great question and i i do have an answer to that um one i'm gonna go with looking at the demographic of people at said bar it appears to be a country bar uh it doesn't look like they're listening to pop music quite as often Frank Farmer is basically the precursor to John Dutton. You know, he likes he likes the countryside of things. He likes that rustic culture of not too poppy. Yes, I just I really don't think they're listening to her music, so I don't think they'd recognize her. And I'm going to I'm going to tie this into a real life person. Now, I don't know the full story behind this, so I'm you know, this isn't great evidence, but 
if you listen to Taylor Swift's song, Invisible String, she mentions an anecdote in which she is at dinner with her boyfriend and he's from England. She's out of the country. And the waitress apparently says to her, you look just like that American singer. So I'm thinking if that could happen in real life, I bet if you're in a place where you're just not in the media of these people's lives as much that you could be like, oh, she looks a little familiar. But no, like, honestly, for me, I I wouldn't know an athlete very well. Like, I wouldn't be able to pick out, um, I don't know, T. Higgins like, on the street if I saw him. But I know what his name is. Yeah, I think it's one of those, oh, I get that all the time, right? Yes. Like, yes. I get that all the time, uh, <laughs> which is probably exactly what I would do if I, if I had that level of fame. Um, but yeah, interesting to know in case people out there were like, this is so unrealistic. Like she would get mobbed everywhere she went. Um, movie theaters are dark. I don't, I'm not looking at the other people in the theater. So I guess that is a good place to go for a date when you're famous. Mm. Um, especially when it's a samurai movie, that's like 60 odd years old. Um, don't really expect, yeah, a lot of, I guess, audience crossover there. So yeah, oddly enough, I think this was a very safe date, but <laughs> makes sense. Frank Farmer is a bodyguard. He probably planned all this for maximum protection. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's hidden. She's she's not amongst, you know, yeah. people that want to kill her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Emma, we get back to his swanky, sexy bachelor pad. How... Uh, how would you describe his his place? There's so many hot moments throughout this date and it just it gets hotter and hotter. You know, she alludes to is this a full service date, but she really just means dancing. They're dancing and a, a plate breaks and he's like on alert and she's like, I'll protect you. It's like oh, a little role reversal there. And then we get into the house and it's, you know, very just sad <laughs> and alone. And she's playing with his sword. <laughs> <laughs> Big swinging sword, right? And she's like, "Ooh, look, a sword, Ooh, a samurai." But then we learn that it's a lethal, deadly sword, and it's like oh, there's just danger entwined with the romance. It is set up for fireworks. Frank is your iconic quiet man. Uh, he doesn't say a lot. In fact, I think just what, whatever he does just has this air of coolness oh, to yeah. it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I thought it would be funny. Uh, everybody who's seen it will know what I'm saying. Anybody who watches it will know what I'm saying. The scarf, right? The scarf mm -hmm. that he takes off her neck when she has the katana. Um, <laughs> two things. Like, I, I think the katana like hits his clothes first which maybe like that would rip if it was that sharp also like if you know the scarf does like kind of hit the sword before like you know it gets thrown up all over like that but <laughs> but <laughs> i just thought it would have been so funny if she was like that was my grandma's scarf <laughs> like that, that scarf has been in my, you know, my family funny. for generations. Um, like she didn't know he was about to just throw it up and it would slice in half. But uh, I yeah, don't know. I think grandma would approve if that was a move. Yeah, the guy was uh, pulling uh, on me. Uh, honestly, yeah. Like if, if a scarf's gonna, you know, end its functional life, 
I think that's a, a pretty nice way of, of going out. So yeah, very, very sexual, a lot of tension. Again, I was kind of, I was joking earlier when I said it was a, a swanky bachelor pad. It's like an open and well, the basement is like nothing special, but, but the top is cool. Yeah. The, the top is actually pretty cool. So, um, <laughs> why he would even show her the basement. I mean, maybe, maybe just to show his big swing and sword. Um, but other than that, yeah, not, not a lot down there, but Nonetheless, great way to end the night. Seals the deal. Wow, is hot. Emma, he can't protect her like this, though. He no. Can't. The next morning is full of regret. Frank realizes he crossed a professional line. It's a yikes. It's 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 yikes. And I do. I get it. I get where he's coming from. It's a little like. Arr! They both yeah. want it, but he also knows it's not a good idea deep down inside. It's very, it's very uh, forbidden love. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, she kind of gets a little spicy, so to speak, here as well. Uh, she's not super happy that he's kind of back on the job right away. They can't really cuddle, you know, in the morning. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, what, back to work. There's and, confusion. It's a, it's confused. It's a situation ship. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and maybe this is where audiences kind of get lost where they're like, wait, like they're, they're not into each other. Like the chemistry is not there. No the chemistry is there. It's, it's totally there. There's, there's, a, there's still a lot of tension. He would still be doing it. Who wouldn't be doing it if that wasn't his literal job to protect her. And of course, like, yeah, emotions are starting to become a thing here. So absolutely. And not just um, for them. But, I, we see a little bit of build from the sister there she's a little like yeah oh she makes a little sly comment that her sister was easy in front of her neck yeah. <laughs> the son fletcher yeah she would never hurt the baby emma she would never <laughs> hurt the baby but um yeah the sister here we see the jealousy kind of mm-hmm. creep up yeah. perfectly placed yeah we've gotten like moments i guess up to now of her like you know flirting with uh with frank but um yeah now it's kind of like oh, okay there's a little bit more jealousy here than meets the eye so uh so yeah it's um it's another thing that kind of gets added to the mix a little extra card into the deck but very well done very yeah. well it's all crafted so well so then we're kind of into our second act the sort of like <sighs> separation the little emotional turmoil between the two uh we go off to florida but tensions are icy we get incredible i have nothing performance at the fontainebleau <laughs> things are back to horrible but awkward and what do we have here we meet portman the bodyguard who is interested in the projects that was alluded to at the very beginning of the movie Rachel decides to make a incredible move in trying to make Frank jealous and initiates a hookup with Portman. She backtracks. Tony is her only lifeline there for that one. <laughs> Tony against thank, Portman. <laughs> thankful for, for Rachel. I don't think Portman kind of knew <laughs> what to expect out of Tony. I think Tony seems like more than he is <laughs> so she she caught a Touché. lucky break she caught a lucky break here i love how tony is just kind of puffing up his chest like oh yeah let me take care of this <laughs> okay but um oh, but sorry. yeah this this whole scene this whole scene 
yeah, the the added sort of layers of complexity in this relationship and the jealousy and all the all the games, right? The games. All the, all the games. The games in, in Miami, right? Frank uh, taking his frustration out on everybody else, totally yeah. unwarrantedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor cooks. Poor, you know, women at these parties that are just trying to have a word with him and he just shuts them down like it's nothing. Um, I mean, again, amazing one liners. <laughs> Why don't you go back and, and keep looking to, to the woman who's like, I've been I've been watching you all night. Uh, and Frank's just a stone cold, just gangster. And um, and I, I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. And uh, yeah. Meanwhile, he's just pounding screwdrivers like one does and um and yeah i i think uh of course the, the jealousy comes out he kind of gets a little emotional a little uh he he's he's caring he's showing that he's being affected by rachel kind of going off even though nothing really happened um yeah like there's still this air of like what's happening right now like what is going on like all it, it he got his, you know, his little head involved, and now his big head in the project is paying for it. So, isn't that a Valentine's Day message? <laughs> yeah, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody! But <laughs> for you situation chips out there, keep this scene in mind. Things get messy when uh, you know multiple other bodyguards start getting involved, and this part of the movie is kind of weird to me because. There's sort of a lot happening, but there's like not a lot happening. This is kind of where it starts to get messy. The first, honestly, the the first act is just so nice and so well done Mm -hmm. that I feel like it overshadows a little bit of what happens here. So technically, you know, like the movie itself, what's going on here, it feels a little stagnant. But of course, like this is kind of where we get some of the more memorable musical numbers. Um, True. Yeah, I have nothing. Just again, incredible. I think that's like the second part in it in and of itself. Um, but yeah, how else would you describe kind of what's going on here? Yeah, I completely agree. I think that so actually, um, I, I don't think I mentioned this in the intro, but uh Kevin Costner and Lawrence Kasdan weren't really fans of how this was turning out. They weren't really happy. They weren't even happy with like the movie as a whole for how it turned out. I know they spent a lot of time in the editing room reviewing things, going over things, like how do we get this where we envision it and it just didn't quite get there. I would attribute some of that dislike maybe to this middle portion where it feels a little like, oh, I'm so confused of like, well, there's a lot of chaos and yeah, it is a little bit um, more disjointed. Yeah, but trauma does bring our couple together when Rachel gets a creepy phone call like the no no no, no. no. <laughs> which I would be scared um, and they they come to an understanding they need to let their hookup just bygones be bygones he needs to protect her in the ways he sees fit she'll do whatever he likes like ooh saucy yeah we get a change of events and we're Going into like, I don't know, like part three, I guess, of sorts, like the reconciliation of the two. So they need to go somewhere that has no connection to her, which is Frank's sneaky roundabout way of getting her to meet his dad, 
we learn that Frank and his dad, they are men of the mountains. His dad lives on a snowy mountainside lake house. What a what a dream. They're doing quite well for themselves. <laughs> and Frank's dad's never heard of her. Probably so refreshing for her. We see a little bit of, you know, the family coming together. Oh, by the way, I need to ask you this. So they're at dinner with Frank's dad and they're all joking and having fun at Frank's expense. And Frank's dad has talked about, oh, I used to beat him up and it's turned him into the best wide receiver. Um, hang on a second. In the earlier scene during date night, she asked him what position he played and he said end, which my little non-football brain goes to tight end, right? So this is actually pretty confusing because, right, he's it, like a wide receiver. He says that he's a wide receiver. No, no, no. So when they were at the, the house, right, he yeah. showed him the picture. Yeah. Like a stud, you know, back in the day on the, yeah. on the football team. And he said he's a wide receiver. Um, he, I thought he said I played end. Oh, okay. So end, oh, on the but, date. But, oh, on the date. Right. Said He says end on the date. But the dad said wide receiver. I yeah. Think, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I guess this doesn't make any sense. I think this is really just like a writer's mistake. This is, well, um, one of but, two things. Writer's mistake or just showing that Frank Farmer can do it all. Maybe. <laughs> can maybe because, play all sorts of positions. Yeah, if, if we're going to get into you know football, I guess end could be one of like how I think of it, two things. Tight ends, like you said, they're kind of like along the, the line of scrimmage, but sometimes they, sometimes they block, sometimes they go out for a pass. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. He would have been, um, and, and if I'm going to be big one, enough like, to be a tight end. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say he's big enough to be a tight end. Um, or he was a defensive end. So like on the line of scrimmage on defense, somebody who's trying to get to the, the quarterback or stop, you know, running plays. Um, but I think maybe his dad, <laughs> maybe he just didn't know football and just confused the wide receiver with a tight end and was like, Oh yeah, he was a wide receiver. But I don't know. Her farmer looks like a guy who knows football. I I think we're, yeah, like I I would expect him to, but (laughs) either way, I think writer's mistake probably. I don't think there's any like, you know, complex meaning to this, but I think yes, for the guys out there (laughs) who might be listening to this. Or girls who like football. (laughs) Thanks, Emma, for correcting me. Um, Yeah, hopefully that clarifies any kind of football confusion with all the the positional questions. Yeah, I think he could just do it all. Um, (laughs) Speaking of can do it all, we get into the everlasting chess game. A chess game going on three years now. Kind of unbelievable when you think about it. Um, I don't know how many moves were made. I've never actually analyzed the chess board. Um, And... To be quite honest, I've just come to the conclusion that neither Frank nor his dad are that good at chess. Um, You don't believe that. I don't believe. I mean, I don't know how often Frank visits home, but if it's literally like once a year, okay, maybe I'll buy it. Okay. But again, right, they like blow the dust off the, 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 the board and he doesn't even know like what color he is or maybe he's just pretending. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Fletcher, of course, I mean, he like sees the, the right move in like five seconds and, um, 
I bet Frank was going to do that anyway. He just wanted to let Fletcher feel good. (laughs) Yeah. So either Fletcher's a genius or Frank pulled him aside and was like, hey, this is the next move. Tell me it. I think it's a little bit of both. They're both geniuses. And (laughs) yeah, game recognizes game. Right. So um, I think that's why Fletcher and and Frank are, are so like uh, uh, bonded in, in this whole thing. But um, yeah, this chess game is hilarious because I think it's supposed to make Frank and his dad seem like two sort of masterminds, right? Who just like, oh, I can't figure out what the next move is going to be. And, and they're calculating all these things they're masterminds. when in reality, like they just, they just don't know how to play. <laughs> uh, we'll have to ask Ben what he thinks. Yeah. Um, it's back on between Rachel and Frank. Some flirty stuff. This is not sitting well with the sister Nikki, who is jealous. And I actually do feel for Nikki, which is kind of what I think does make this movie interesting. It'd be one thing if it was just this evil sister being like, ooh, like, er, I'm so jealous. But I, I do feel for her. It does suck to like, you start a band and then your sister becomes the star. You have a crush on this guy and then your sister ends up with him. Like, there's, I I feel for her. And especially when she's singing the gospel music and Rachel just comes up behind her and just well-intentioned, but unintentionally overshadows her during a moment of peace. Like, feel bad. Yeah. I I think you, you definitely, you see where she's coming from, which, yeah, Mm. from a, just a story standpoint helps and I think makes this a lot stronger. Um, which as we, you know, keep talking here and we'll get to in a moment, um, like it, it just lets us dive a little bit deeper into her personality, her motives. And yeah, like I, I feel for her too. Like really that that's hard. It's your baby sister, right? Like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just to have kind of everything that maybe you see as, Oh, this should be like my life. This should be me. Not quite unlike the stalker, right? She Mm -hmm. has everything. I have nothing. Um, so those are my thoughts. I hate her. I hate her. And so, <laughs> right. It's uh, she, she's iconic. She's iconic. And I guess while we're, uh, while we're going at it, um, we kind of get our, our next big moment while we're at the retreat, which is Fletcher. Fletcher. Our poor little boy, Fletcher, who just can't stay away from boats Ends up foreshadowing on there from the uh, yeah. beginning. Yep. And um, and Frank, the ever diligent farmer, <laughs> sees Fletcher. And I don't know what goes off in his mind because Fletcher was on the boat earlier. Uh, but something just didn't seem quite right. Maybe it was the, the steps. The uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's and, it. I was like, yeah, I feel like there was a couple things, but this no. And so he's tipped off. Something's not quite right. And, um, and yeah, he goes, knocks Fletcher off the boat, saves him in the cold, freezing water. The entire family's freaking out for a hot minute. And Emma, we see the boat blow up and we know that they are not quite safe in the cabin in the woods. The killer's there. (laughs) (laughs) I will Um, find you. Um, It ups the ante for sure. I think that's the, and then when you find out like the cars have been cut and the phone's cut and it's like they're trapped there it is great suspense 
very fully fleshed out to me. Romance of drama, suspense, yeah. mystery, um, yeah. mystery. Yeah, it's great. Armor. Yeah, comedy. It's Got it's a really good at all. <laughs> so we do get the truth, or some wow. semi the truth, an inkling to the truth. Yes. What happened? Nikki hired a hitman to kill her sister Rachel. That the dog should have saw it coming. We should have saw it coming. <laughs> but the issue is, is Nikki doesn't really know who she hired. She was on she something. Was, she was stoned. <laughs> Emma, she didn't know what was happening, but she ended up paying in full. Uh, she hired somebody, uh, Armando. Armando. Was, I guess, the guy that she talked to. Uh, a lot of help there. And um, yeah. Good old East LA. That's where you can find your uh, <laughs> your doer of deeds, so to speak. And um, and yeah, he will not stop until the job is done. And we know that this guy is a professional. So yeah, he and, and he has found them. Nobody's safe. Uh, my only question here is why isn't everybody in the same room bunkering down at night when they know that somebody wants to kill you or at least somebody in your group and they're professional. I'm thinking, yeah, sniper. I'm thinking gun, maybe through the house. Uh, I don't know. I I would probably do a little bit tighter of a, you know, a gathering if I were Mr. Farmer. I wouldn't let everybody out of the same room. You know, um, I think Frank had his suspicions that someone in that circle had to tip the killer off uh, and that he needed it separated or else he wouldn't have gotten answers. That is my only guess because he knew that the place didn't have a connection to her. Someone there must've done it. It's probably not Fletcher. Um, <laughs> it's one suspect who does well, crack Henry, under the pressure. Oh yeah. Henry or, or Henry, or it could have gone full circle and you could have been like, Oh my God, Henry really is the bad guy. But now it's, it's definitely a sister. It's definitely Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What 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 motive does Henry have? Uh, <laughs> so uh, so yeah. Um, she's quite emotional, and yes, she's gunned down. The killer's in the house, uh, accidentally or accidentally on purpose kills Nikki. What do we think? You know, so that it's all cleared, so that the paper trail is silenced. Could be uh, not opposed to that. I think it's also pretty dark. Maybe he, he does. He, maybe he does. Yeah. Maybe he just thinks it's Rachel. Uh, I can't quite make out what she is saying in the final moments, but it is a little like intense, right? It's mm-hmm. not like uh, off screen killing. It's, uh, you know, in your face, sad moment. Like it's still Rachel's sister. It's still like this uh, assassination murder. And yeah, we have Frank just on the job, like a bloodhound. He had an absolute man. His skills are on display. The somersault out the window, closing his eyes on purpose to rely solely on his sense of hearing to make aim. A man. A man. Uh, (laughs) I mean, a man, maybe a year or two past his prime. I think back in his Reagan days, maybe he makes that (laughs) shot based off of the hearing. But um, but yeah, the it, it's about six inches to the side. These uh, these shots. It's like a and, um, Jedi. 
Yeah, he he is. It's a very Jedi like moment, actually. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, it's kind of cool. A lot of Anakin Skywalker inspiration here, I think. Yeah, it, it would have been cooler if he made the shot, but um, nevertheless, they the rest of the party makes it out. Uh, we do have, unfortunately, the um, you know the casualty uh, of Nikki, but was Rachel that affected? Okay, this is this is a question that has come up with everyone that I've ever watched this with. Did Frank tell Rachel that Nikki was the one that set this all up or did he just let that secret die so she could remember her sister in a good light? I think Frank was a man of honor and he did not tell her. I kind of think that, too. I think the secret, you know, it's only him now. Who knows him and maybe Armando. If that wasn't, uh, what's his name? Um, Portman <laughs> going by Armando. I don't but, know how the, our hitman met Armando. That is another backstory that you can kind of craft in your head. I think Portman really just <laughs> was at a bar and maybe this was just a stroke of luck. And, uh, I mean, geez, how do you go from bodyguard to like hitman? I well, mean, it's like double like indemnity. Common... It's like, you yeah. know, all the secrets. Yeah, Let's mess so, with the system and try to outsmart it and make money off of it. Yeah, so maybe the fates oddly aligned and he just had a had his shot here, um, literally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the secret dies, though, with, well, Frank didn't tell Rachel. I think it dies with uh, Nikki. Yeah, I think it's kind of like one of those things where it's over and done with, no sense in rehashing it. Truth of the matter is the killer's still out there. So that's what yeah. really matters. Yeah, no, we still got to take care of business here, Frank. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Frank has taken this pretty hard. Like, that's a lot of vodka. <laughs> well, yeah. Driver. yeah, that's very true. What is a compelling maybe uh, theory as to maybe why he told her, though? Like, has there ever been anybody who's made a, a good case as to why maybe he told her? Just, I think that Frank is interested in the truth and transparency and wants her to, you know, maybe be more prepared. And he doesn't like keeping secrets from Rachel. Like he liked, he wanted to tell her about the home invader and the letters and all the threats against her. And, you know, that could be that, that he just wants to be fully honest. So her tears, that moment when she's crying, it could be, yes, I lost my sister, or it could be, I lost my sister and also. She, she, tried she got me, me in this. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is a I mean, whole other <laughs> layer. She's she's sad. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But is she that sad? That's kind of my only thing. Exactly. That is the other part I think that people allude to where it's like she gets on that horse pretty quickly to get to the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Like if your sister dies, right? Mm-hmm. But like it was a tragic, you know, she was a bystander. Maybe. Yeah. Let's let's proceed. Um, or uh, what I'm trying to get at here is like, yeah, her reaction to everything maybe indicates like she knew. Yeah. But it, you're right. Like it's uh, it's again one of those things that's it's open to the the audience's interpretation, which makes this movie so much, much fun. I love it. Um, I love an interactive when, movie. Yeah. So I'm off. <laughs> Next, after all this, 
the Academy Awards. The Oscars. Going into this, tensions are high. Again, the stakes are high. Frank, probably for the first time ever, had someone die on his watch. Rachel is like, hey, I want to win my money. She, you have that cool confidence, you know, like the let's have no, I have no fears because I have you there to protect me. So they're on a good place emotionally. They're on a good working relationship situation. Everything kind of feels like it's into balance, but it's also where the threat is the highest. Rachel's a good spirits. Frank even gives Tony a little bit more credit. Um, okay. <laughs> this, this Oscars, what a wild time. If that host was a host today... Canceled in a heartbeat. The bada bing, bada boom girl. Yeah. I I think what I love about this kind of ending third, if you want to call it that, um, right. Like you have the dip in the, the funeral procession for Nikki. Boom. We're into the Academy Awards, but we know it's going down here. Like something is going to happen. So, um, like there's no way out of this as an audience member. So I think we're really like strapped in kind of on the edge of our seats. And now we get this nice like tie in and like what you just said, Emma, he's, he's getting the team ready. He's like making Tony believe in himself, which, you know, (laughs) maybe he needs after that earlier fight, he's, you know, getting the mics ready. He's giving like the cross, he's kind of pep talking, uh, Rachel Whitney. And, you know, it's, it's showtime as I'm watching this though, I think, the educated audience member, as soon as they see Portman again, would know something is up. Yeah, I agree. I think they would be like, huh, okay, what a coinkydink. Um, also, why would that now? misogynistic host need a bodyguard, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe I could see why he'd need one. Uh, but <laughs> a little too many suggestive comments out there. <laughs> Um, but just the way that, you know, Portman said like, oh, he just kind of looked around for a second, looked at the TV and was like, oh, him, (laughs) I guess that's kind of clever. Like why, I don't know. Why would the, the stage hand need a bodyguard? Like who else would need a bodyguard in that moment? Um, It's, it's one too many appearances of Portman. We saw him in the first act. We saw him in the second act. We're seeing him again in the third. He's obviously of significance. It's great writing. Like it's by then, you know, that's just it with mysteries. The best mysteries do have some thread of logic where it's like, oh, I should have picked up on that or I could pick up on that. It makes it fun for the viewer. It's not totally random unless you're doing some like... (laughs) crazy spoof parody like the pink panther with steve martin (laughs) um yeah so i i get that with portman completely um other questions popping up for me why are they not having rachel Marin sing her song for best original song you know how the oscars every year they have the singer sing the song every year well i never understood why it's a double unless it would be for safety reasons which again makes no sense then to have her on later what that always confused me unless that was the thing in the 90s can anyone speak to that maybe i don't know respond in the comments and reply to us on instagram old soul movie podcast or reach out to us on twitter old soul pod which I think 
that's a handle. Um, yeah, yeah. Twitter's <laughs> been a little bit of a, <laughs> yeah. All right. Just reach out, re- reach out to us on Instagram, old soul movie podcast. Uh, but I, I think that's not out of the realm of weirdness. I, I feel like I've seen that like once or twice before yeah. where somebody, per- yeah, somebody performed a, like a song that wasn't theirs. I also think wasn't Rachel getting ready. Like she was coming on right after that, mm, if I'm not mistaken. Fair um, point. So yeah, that's my, I guess, answer to, to that one. The iron is kind of funny because like, okay, in this fictional Oscars, I have nothing is up for best original song. But, and then the real Oscars, it would have been up for best original song. But it's kind of funny because in parallel universes, it wins one, but not the other. I don't know. <laughs> so, so much to think about. Yeah, the suspense is really building. It's really well done. Rachel can't even present. She has a panic attack. She's calling Frank. Debbie Reynolds calls her nuts. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mess. I think if I were in Rachel's position, I would have said that I was struggling with my sister's death and had a mental health moment. I don't think it was that crazy for her to run off stage. She 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 definitely had some excuses or reasons. In the aftermath, you, you could just be like, oh, hey, I was going to get shot as evidenced by yeah, later like, events. All right, guys, like yeah. that was warranted. Um, yeah, but before that, I guess she had, you know, the script sort of lined up for her, Yeah. but I do love the, the kind of moment of realization for Frank Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when the host does pass by and he asks, right? Like, where's Portman? Mm -hmm. And the host is like, who is that? Or what? I I can't remember. Never heard of him. (laughs) Never heard of him. And, um, and yeah, boom, we're on the job. Tony. It's Portman. It all comes Portman. together. <laughs> we got we got to find Portman, right? The 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 clock is ticking. Um, the awards are going off, and um, that's the gamble on Portman's part that she would win. You know, it's like no guarantees in this yeah. game. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it would have been a little bit safer to do it while she was presenting the, uh, <laughs> I guess, the award. If you're going to pick a moment, um, but I guess yeah, Portman's a, a man of. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, show. (laughs) (laughs) He likes the risk. I mean, God, maybe, maybe in this alternate universe, Portman just switched the the cards. Uh Oh, one. Maybe maybe a whole new world was winning until Portman got involved. Oh, uh, it was. Maybe that's a fun little thing for us to think about as an audience member. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, Portman could have just been conning everything here <laughs> but yes emma the final scene the, the final scene the the, the the moment the camera gun the slow motion frank farmer emma what the do we moment think? we have all been waiting for it's heavy it's high it's it's tense and Frank knows that he is out of time. He has no time to spare. He has no cards left to play. We get that epic, epic conclusion. Frank, the bodyguard, jumps and takes a bullet for his love and client, Rachel Marin. So romantic. So romantic. Just ah. <laughs> like, I think he would have done it for anyone. 
but I think it was probably the only time it would have had an emotional component to him. Agreed. Agreed. The slow motion is glorious. Uh, it's, it's one of those moments where I'm not going to say it's so bad. It's good, but you could laugh <laughs> at it, like what's happening and just the way that they show all this. Um, I, you know what though? I feel like when trauma happens though, it does yeah. feel like slow motion sometimes. So I feel like it's yeah. actually pretty attuned to what you would be feeling in that moment. Yeah. I mean, again, like the, the mics are cut off. He can't communicate with anybody. He has to take matters into his own hands. And again, Man, how awkward would that have been if the gun didn't go off? <laughs> <laughs> then she, then she might have been super pissed off. <laughs> then, then, well, it's kind of funny. I love that her first response is like, "Frank, what are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't know. Right, right. And, but and then all the realizations, the blood, it's it's all coming together. Frank takes that final trigger pull and off Portman ends this nonsense. Yes. And yeah, it's kind of a, a windfall. Like Sai realizes how stupid his obsession with fame was. The stalker also probably made some heavy reflections <laughs> watching that scene go by. Rachel coming to conclusions of like the paranoia and Frank just being Frank. Frank being Frank. Finally getting closure to having Reagan. been able to, yes, Reagan finally taking that bullet, finally getting to save a life, something that he felt so guilty about. It all, it all, yeah. beautiful, Mwah. beautiful, happy. It's yeah. great. I, I think that's a, a perfect way to end a bodyguard career. Um, <laughs> probably one of the, the best ways to go out if you could, you know, have one. Is, I mean, everyone's going to want to hire you, though, after that, because they know you're going to yeah. actually be yeah. good on your word. Put it, put it on the line. And <laughs> he does he does come with full service. So uh, if, that, if, if that's what you're into, then Frank's your guy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way to, to sort of, you know, bring the story to a climax and yeah, like Frank fulfilled his uh, his duties. The circle yes. was closed as him it's, as a bodyguard. And just um, applause, applause all the way around. We get and then we get like this little cool down scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to describe now, here what, what sort of happens. It's kind of it's a little bit of a tricky strange. trickster scene. It's, it's all sad. You see airplanes. We see a lot of dark clothing and whatnot. We see Rachel and Fletcher, but we don't see Frank. So little part of you might be like, oh, Frank died. This is his funeral. But no, no, no. Frank's not dead. No, <laughs> he's no. alive. He's alive. <laughs> and he's he's seeing Rachel off and they, they have one last goodbye. They realize that their worlds are just too different. He's a bodyguard. She's a pop star. And it's just not going to work. They say goodbye to I will always love you. Maybe one of the most romantic kisses of all time ever. Whoa. Um, I movie Big kisses. Words. I mean, Big hey, words. there's nothing like stopping a plane right before it's about to go up Stop in the, the air on Stop the tarmac, yeah. smooching one last time. It's mm. oh, beautiful. Maybe, Gorgeous. yeah, maybe, maybe that's the last time they see each other. Um, it's uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. It, it ties it's into beautiful. the song. Yeah, beautiful song. 
it's, it's great. Everything about this is, is wonderful. And, um, yeah, ah. I, just, I, I love, I love how this ends, but there's a mini scene, I guess, after this one, Emma, right? Like this kind of last shot of Frank. Oh, when at his new job. Yeah. So I guess he doesn't really stop bodyguarding. No, he keeps going. He, he can't get he, to, he's still true to character. Can't get too yeah. comfortable. Yeah. He's, uh, He's married to the game, as they say. Life goes on. Maybe and and for the next time that he uh has some kind of romance and she asks him, you know, what happened to your last love? I mean, what what did you say to that? Yeah. I, I think he's gonna have to come up with some kind of lie for that poor girl's sake. Um you know, because there will be nothing that tops that romance. I don't think they'll ever truly love again. And I'm going to put this out there in my little brain, because so much of this is like viewer your, imagination. Your big brain, Emma. Big brain. <laughs> um, you know, so much viewer imagination in my world. I like to think that they had to go their separate ways for a very long time. But then when he finally retired and she sort of stepped down a little bit in show business, I like to think that they were able to come together again, yeah. like letters from Juliet yeah. <laughs> and, and make it work. You know, that would have been a really, I mean, now that we're in the vein of all of these sequels coming out 20, 30 something years later, it, it's so sad that Whitney passed. It would have been really cool to actually have gotten a sequel where it is all this time later, 30 years later or so. And Frank is, with Rachel or they come connected. He's like maybe a mentor to this new bodyguard yeah, or right. something. And yeah. like, there's a situation with Fletcher, maybe Fletcher's famous. And I don't know, that would have been, that would have been cool. Like, I, I mean, that's literally like the plot of Top Gun Maverick, but <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why that people love cool. it. There's a reason why people love it. And it, it would have worked. I'm, I'm here for it. Henry Cavill as the bodyguard. Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's it's uh, maybe Fletcher's kids are in danger or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The world will never know. But yeah, no, that's actually like, I guess, yeah, the Top Gun Maverick equivalent to what a bodyguard sequel would be, <laughs> which I mean, I, I would watch it. And I would probably love it. But um, but yeah, amazing movie. Incredible. Uh, amazing, amazing, uh, I guess, piece of cultural importance that has uh, really lasted the, the the test of time and i think that's standing you know however good you know your movie is on paper how however acclaimed it is are people still talking about it are they still watching it does it still get reference in culture and do people kind of understand it um, yeah, do they do they ask the questions yeah. that aren't addressed in the movie do they have those yeah. debates and i i think that you know all those things can be applied to the bodyguard here and yeah i guess just like how whitney's life played out and, you know, just I guess Kevin Costner is like a, an actor who's just been a staple um, and, and had a career with longevity. It kind of fits to make this a movie that, in my opinion, will stand the test of time. So, um, again, if you haven't watched it, <laughs> thanks for listening to this point. Uh, go watch <laughs> it immediately. And I mean, sorry, everything is spoiled for you now. But um, if you have watched it, hopefully this kind of brings back a lot of memories. Hopefully you can watch it again and enjoy it and maybe see it in a new light. Amazing film, amazing podcast. And I'm just so happy that we took the time to uh, discuss it here, Emma. 
Yes. Please sound off in the comments on social media or give us a DM. I would love to hear your thoughts on what you think Fletcher's dad's backstory is. Um, And if you think Frank told Rachel that her sister set it up or not. And then also, do you think that Frank and Rachel ever reconnected again after this closing scene? Maybe we'll throw some polls out there. Yeah, let's let's see what let's happens. Do it. Let's see what happens. But um, but yeah, I mean, happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. We a love you movie. all. Yes, we love you all. Uh, again, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're flying solo, doesn't matter. You're part of the old soul fam. We're here for you, and uh, hopefully, you know, you can watch along with us as we enjoy this amazing classic piece of cinema history. And uh, we will always love you. fam so um emma any other parting words before we sign off here no i think we mentioned it earlier but once again uh follow us on instagram also movie podcast twitter also movie pod on facebook the also movie podcast uh please uh, if you liked this share with a friend uh if you really liked us we'd love for you to subscribe and be part of the old soul family it's just so much fun we have an amazing next episode coming up. Oh, and also, okay, this is something a little bit new. I don't know how successful this will go down, but I want to put it out there. For Women's History Month, I would really love to highlight women's businesses. If you're a woman that listens to our podcast and you have a business of your own, please send me a DM. Let me know what your business is, if you have a little blurb, and I'd love to give a shout out during uh, one of our March episodes. Like, let's lift each other up, you know? Amen. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) uh, Whatever his name is would say. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Ultimately, like, thank you so, 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 so much, everyone, for joining. Thanks again, Jack. Always good to see you. Great to be back. It's really uh, refreshing to, to jump back on the pod. I miss being a regular here, but Emma is doing a great job, and I'm just so happy and, and proud of everything that you guys are doing here. There's so there's so many episodes that I have in mind where I'm like, Jack needs to be on it. So yeah. we'll, so, we'll see ho- you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that's sooner than later. Uh, can't wait to, to come back here, discuss all things cinema, chime in, you know, <laughs> here and there where I can. And yeah, it's always just a, a good time. So, so thanks again for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you again. And Happy, happy Valentine's Day. See you next time.